0: Welcome back to the Jake podcast. I'm your host, Jake Brainy on this very special Saturday edition of the pod. It is uh, 6.46 a.m. on Saturday, March 14th. Happy birthday, mom. Uh, if you're wondering why I'm up this early, just couldn't sleep right. Uh had, uh, had a lot of pizza last night for the first time in like two months because of uh, the keto diet, but Uh, You know, it was like a celebration. So we decided, you know, hey, we were gonna have some fun, had some pizza and uh, I uh, didn't really sleep too well. So that's why I'm up right now. But it's cool because I get to record, uh, which is exciting because I haven't done a lot of record. I've been super busy. And I know that's like my excuse every time, but haven't been recording a lot. But hopefully now that I'm slightly more organized, I will be able to get a couple more pods in uh, the month of March. But Yeah, it is Saturday, March 14th, and it is not news to anyone that coronavirus is real. And that's really the only news that's going on because it is legitimately canceling all of the sports and quarantining people into their homes. Thousands upon thousands are getting sicker with the virus, apparently, the the toll the other day was up to like 150 million and you know trump said we're in a uh you know pandemic then 3 days later national emergency so it's real it's um and it's not going away anytime soon you know i i work in finance and i'm seeing the very real effect it has on the stock market uh, I'm a fan of sports, and I'm very much seeing the effect it has on those. Between canceled tournaments and postponed seasons, it, it, you know this is kind of unprecedented work that's happening right now. And people that are shopping are going nuts right now. Apparently, they think coronavirus makes you poop 10 times as much because the only thing people are, are buying are toilet paper. Uh, And then bottled water, because, you know, if there's any emergency, the number one thing you go to is bottled water, like no matter what. But this isn't affecting the weather. And so um, I don't see that becoming a real issue. They're not going to turn off our water. But I don't want to be here telling people how to uh, deal with a national crisis. Uh, I never wanted to be that person. I don't want to tell people what makes them safe. Or what makes them feel safe is stupid. So I don't want to put them in a position that you know they don't want to be in. Everyone handles these things differently, and uh, you know it's none of my business. So uh, it, it is, it is, it's real though, and uh, it's affecting everyone. It's very crazy. I don't want to talk about it too much because that's all that anyone can talk about. Uh, so let's get into the other things, right? Okay. So it's canceled a lot of sports and. The reason I'm up in Asbury Park right now and not Hoboken is because usually Friday the 13th of March, whatever you know, second week of March that is, I'm typically at the Big East Tournament. Uh, my buddy Chris and his wife Lauren are big time fans that go every year. I used to go with my dad growing up where we, we would uh, skip school for the day. He would... Pick me up from RBC, and I would say that I wasn't feeling good, and and uh, call home, and they're like, "Okay, this is very interesting." I'm like, "Yeah, I'm just not feeling good." And uh, my dad comes up with like a, sometimes like even like a car service with other people too, and they're like, "Jake Rainey's getting picked up by a car service right outside of Red Bank Catholic." I don't think he's sick. Um, even one year, I uh, punted on baseball tryouts because I was like, you know what? I'd rather go to the Big East tournament. It's as simple as that. <laughs> it was in the middle of baseball tournament, sophomore year, not tournament, baseball tryouts, sophomore year. And I just was like, you know what? Um, football is my sport, right? Uh, baseball. It, I was on the fringe of making the team. I was like, I'd probably make the team. I'd probably split time at first base. I can't play the outfield. Um, they won't play me at third base because there's enough JV third baseman. Uh, you know what, if I don't make the team, that won't be the worst thing in the world. So I punted on the last tryout and uh, went to the Big East tournament instead and just said, you know what, this was worth it. And you know what, it was worth it because we got Jerry McNamara magic that year. And uh, if you remember Jerry McNamara and the Syracuse teams, that was so fun and it was so worth it. Got to see a lot of really cool moments at the Big East and gonna step on that uh, a little bit uh, later in the pod. But I do wanna get to, you know, what this weekend was all about, because I was supposed to go with Chris and his wife, Lauren, um, a couple of Chris's college friends that I've become friends with as well. And then some of my other friends, Chuck and Brian, were going to be there as well. And we were really excited. And Sam and I were going to meet everyone in the city, going to go into the big East, possibly see Seton Hall and Nova, which would be great. Uh, and then maybe like it was going to be Creighton and Providence Maybe uh, St. John's would pull the upset over Creighton and we'd see an all like old Big East uh, final four of the Big East tournament. That would be really cool. That's like what we're all pulling for. And St. John's was beating Creighton at halftime on Thursday. Uh, That's when they pulled the plug on the whole Big East tournament. And uh, by then they were already not allowing any fans in the games. But uh, frankly, it was just like, They, they, they were the last to pull the plug to, you know, everyone else was panicking and the big East was trying to stay strong. It was a wild Wednesday, Thursday combination for everybody because, you know, we were just following everything, everyone that was getting the virus, everything that it was affecting. I mean, Tom Hanks has it in Australia. He's being quarantined. The whole Rudy Gobert situation, which, you know, I hate to go into, but you know Rudy Gobert, grade A asshole, uh, go, goes into his press conference after getting tested, and acting so above everything, um, acting like he can't get it, he won't get it, he can't like you no, know, he's not sick. Gets his sweaty hands and arms and touches all the microphones of the reporters that were interviewing him after practice. And hours later, or I guess it was the next day, he was pulled right before the game because he has the coronavirus, and everybody in Oklahoma City for the OKC-Utah Jazz game had to be quarantined because of this. He got Donovan Mitchell sick because he was messing around with people thinking he was like above it and it wasn't going to happen, and he was touching everybody's stuff. So now Donovan Mitchell has the coronavirus, and the NBA was like, we have to suspend our season because everybody's going to have it because Rudy Gobert has been playing, you know, he he played like four different games in the last 10 days. So, you know, and those teams probably played two more games since playing Rudy Gobert in the jazz. So, so it just like, you know, by that point, it it was spreading across a third of the NBA and it was just going to happen to everybody at that point. So NBA pulled the plug, which was like, you know, the really smart thing to do. And they're just postponing. They haven't said what they're going to do yet. It was a mandatory 30-day break is what they're taking right now. But that seems to be uh, like, you know, like the one that will probably pick back up. And NHL, I believe, is the same where they're going to say, listen, we're taking like a mini hiatus. But I, what I believe is that both of those leagues will pick up for the playoffs, And that, you know, they'll give each team like basically a week to get back. And then they say, okay, the regular season is over. We're going to postpone the playoffs a little bit, but we're going to have the playoffs. And I think that's what's going to end up happening. So uh, fortunately for the Cavaliers, they were looking pretty strong at the end of the season, finished the year pretty strong under J.B. Bickerstaff, winning a couple games, playing teams really tight. Colin Sexton was looking really good. And uh, yeah, and they roll into the end of the season with the second best lottery odds. So uh, that's not bad considering that like the worst that could happen for them is the sixth overall pick then uh, if this is the way everything happens. If they bring it back where the regular season's going to continue just a month later, um, you know, we'll see where we go from there. But it's it's you know, this is unprecedented stuff. So I, I don't blame the NBA for however they're handling it. I just doubt that they're going to make so many teams play unnecessary end-of-season games when in reality we kind of already know which 16 teams are making the playoffs, right? Like there's enough of a lead in both leagues for the eighth seed for them to just say, you know what, maybe there would have been a change, but this is unprecedented stuff. We're going to call it. Here are the eight teams in the East. Here are the eight teams in the West. And I bet the Hockey does the same. I know they have a closer race right now, so that would really sting for a lot of fans. I know, especially since there's a big bit of a race going on in New York, but uh, that's probably the right way to go. Um, so, yeah, fuck Rudy Gobert for messing with everybody and thinking he's above it all. I think he should get, you know, fucking jail time, to be honest, because I know a lot of people think, like, oh, Jake, you know, Mr. Miles Garrett defender and stuff. I'm like, yeah, well you know, Rudy Gobert did, took a calculated decision to like mess with people. I don't think you should go to jail. I, I like, like that was kind of a joke, but, um, you know, I'm like, I fucking hate people who do that, who, who think they're above everything and can mess with like other people's safety and basically like freedom because he thinks he's above it all. So, uh, Rudy Gobert, top of my shit list of the NBA, right up there with Joe Kim, Noah, and, uh, not Lance Stevenson. Um, Lance Stevenson I'm okay with. It, it was Deshaun Stevenson who I really hated. Um, but, yeah, that's where the NBA and the NHL sit. Uh, big East, like I said, that was supposed to be our big plan Friday night. Um, and, you know, obviously they made the decision. They made it last, though. After all the tournaments were canceled, Big East was still playing theirs, and they finally canceled. They were the last ones to say people can't go. They were the last one, like, and, and James Dolan was the last, the only person who didn't want to put a hiatus on the season. Uh, so, you know, when, the, when the 30 teams voted, one owner said, no, it was James Dolan and the New York Knicks. So at that point I was telling the guys, I was like, Hey, listen, there's a chance this goes on because James Dolan has made it really clear. He wants fans in Madison square garden. <laughs> yeah. You know, he voted against the NBA hiatus the Big East hadn't made any formal announcement, even though the NCAA was making their entire tournament fan list, you know, to stop the spread or, you know, whatever they could do. But, you know, Big East was going to follow suit. So I appreciate that, James Dolan. You really wanted to give the fans their experience, whether it was for your money or whatever. But um, you know what? I'll never forget that James Dolan was looking out for us, me and my buddies. And this sucked because it was it's a whole ripple effect on another thing that i have going on it's like okay after the big east we go out we uh go to a couple cool like dive bars that chris picks out and we grab a couple pizzas at different like really top-notch pizza places and you know we don't we didn't get that and then i don't stay over in hoboken and get the fiori's uh roast beef sandwich one of the best sandwiches in the world I don't get that. So it's a whole ripple effect of what's going on. And I know you're gonna say like, wow, you know, coronavirus is going around, it's killing people, and Jake's pissed he doesn't get pizza and Fiori sandwich. I know this is a relative thing. I know this is like small potatoes when you're looking at it. And I and I do appreciate that. And everyone, you know, but this is the same as everyone who's freaking out that they don't get March Madness and their tournament. Um and that they don't get Uh, To do their bracket and all the other fun things, like it's, you know, like I I hate to look at it as the big scale when you know my life is a a much smaller scale than that. So, but you know, everybody grieves in their own way over these things. I know a lot of people are bummed right now, and you're allowed to be bummed. You're allowed. They aren't separate. Where you you're allowed to be like feeling on the big scale of things, like. I feel really bad for anyone who's affected by this right now, but you're also allowed to be upset about the things that affects you on your day to day life. Uh so like, don't those things aren't mutually exclusive? Just because there are really bad things happening doesn't mean you can't like be bummed about the things that are happening to you as well. So don't let people mess with you in that way. You know, be like, oh, because you know, because if if that's the case. Then, anytime you're hungry and you're like, damn, I really wish I had something right now. Like, someone would be like, well, there are starving kids in Africa. I'm like, well, I'm, okay, yeah, I'm not starving in Africa, but I am hungry. Like, don't let people mess with you like that. All right. No, we get to live in our own bubbles. Uh, that's, you know, that's the point. Yeah. You know, everybody has their own bubble. And I've always appreciated the bubble I live in. And you know what? My bubble, my bubble's damaged right now. It's damaged, it's hurt big. And I'm gonna give you the top five things in my bubble that aren't working for me right now, okay? Number five, and I'll give you an honorable mention after. The start of the MLB season, right? Okay, Uh, baseball has announced that they will at least be postponing two weeks. They suspended spring training. And uh, yeah, amid all the other like mid-NBA, NHL, and March Madness stuff, Beginning of baseball season kind of gets washed away a little bit, but you know what? Indians are a good team. And uh this kind of seems like we really needed them to play because this offseason was basically the offseason of shredding salary and uh letting guys go for cheap. Like they traded Corey Kluber and didn't really get much back. They let Yasiel Puig walk out the door and not even sign with another team. They could have signed him, but they're like, No, he's just too expensive and it's obvious that the Indians are slashing payroll. We thought it would be to sign Francisco Lindor, but they never even offered Lindor $300 million. So they say they make an earnest offer. I disagree because if they didn't offer $300 million, it wasn't a negotiation. It was basically a joke. That's not a negotiation. He's, he's one of the best players in the world. Don't shortchange him. I mean, don't insult the guy. He's going to be gone, and it will suck. If we're talking about what's best for the team, trading him now is probably best for the team, if I'm being honest. Because I don't think this team is winning the World Series this year or next year. Now, if they're going to just sit there and say, hey, we're going to go for it, I'd still approve that because I think they're a playoff-caliber team. But they're also slashing payroll. It's one thing to say, we're slashing payroll to sign Lindor. It's another thing to just be like, look, We're not getting Lindor, so let's go for it all right now. Or trade them slash payroll, load up on some young guys, save some money for when you need to extend some of these young guys. They're in this weird middle ground. Regardless, MLB season was going to start in two weeks. It was going to be really exciting because it would say, hey, you know what, Uh, amid the other things, we can at least jump on to the Indians this season. But that's not starting just yet. Uh, we'll see when they actually do start up, but they still will have most of their season. Uh, it'll just be a little delayed. Number four, um, you know, the Stanley Cup playoffs, I don't really watch a lot of regular season hockey, right? Um, I don't even have a team. I say I like the Rangers. I just really root for the Rangers. It's not really like I'm a huge Ranger fan. I know a lot of people that are much bigger fans. Uh, I'm more so just a fan of, of the Stanley cup playoffs themselves because outside of rooting for, you know, I'm not going to root for Boston and I'm not going to root for Pittsburgh. Right. Cause I hate the Steelers and I hate, you know, I'll hate the penguins because they represent the same fans. Um, and I hate that Boston fans have gotten this many, you know, parades in such a short time. So I'm not going to root for the Bruins. Um, and and yeah, fuck the flowers, because I don't like anyone from Philly. But regardless of outside of those couple teams in the East, I really don't have much rooting interest. And it's fun to watch these teams that I don't know much about play really hard and their home fans bring it in the playoffs. Like there's there is nothing quite like The energy you see at Stanley Cup playoffs. I used to work at Madison Square Garden. (laughs) I saw it firsthand when I was working. And the Rangers played the Capitals in the second round. Or maybe it was to get to the second round. And they played the Bruins in the second round. Um, But they had a great seven-game series. And there was like a couple overtime games in there. And I worked one of the overtime games where they won. And it was the one of the top three single loudest experiences of my entire life. It was right up there with the Clemson Florida state game. I went to with my buddy Bill Mead and it was, um, it was just like pandemonium and you really do feel the energy of the Stanley cup playoffs. And you can feel it at home too. And I give that a lot of credit to the announcers. You know, you get like, Doc Emmerich and, and, and like that NBC sports squad is really good at bringing like hockey heat to you. And it's just a lot of fun. And uh, if we don't get that, I'll be super bummed because I really do like watching the Stanley Cup playoffs, even though I don't have a rooting interest. Okay. My number three biggest thing that I'm, I'm missing during coronavirus, uh, Disney announced that they're delaying production on all of their movies, movies and shows. Now, number one, we don't know how much that delays things, right? Like if there's a movie that's projected to come out in February of 2021, will that still happen? Um, I don't know. If you know, and, and same going forward for the ones that are longer down the ro- road, like twenty twenty two. What about Eternals is coming out in November? Does that get delayed? Uh, you know, it, it, there, there's so many Disney projects right now that this affects a lot of things. And I'm a fan of a lot of the work Disney is doing. Now, clearly, I'm I'm looking mostly at the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You know, you've got Black Widow coming out May first. You have a couple different shows. Uh, ready to roll with uh Falcon Winter Soldier, WandaVision and Loki all coming out in, within the next year. Then you have uh Doctor Strange 2 coming out basically a year from now. And then you have Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. And 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 and, and you have Eternals coming out in November. It's a and they're already announced that uh, new mutants, which I don't really know how much that plays into it. I didn't know it was a Fox searchlight thing before Disney acquired it so new Mutants has been shelved though um, not shelved delayed. So it is really interesting to see how this affects not only Disney but if, if other studios start to delay. you know because a lot of people are saying, oh I don't have sports at least I can go see movies and at least I can go do movies. Well, not if they're delaying production on these things. Entertainment is really going down right now because everybody's got to be careful. And I understand why. I'm not asking why these things are happening. It's just a bummer because, you know, when anything happens where you're like, okay, we're quarantined or we're bedridden or we're not allowed to go into work, you want to at least be able to turn on TV and enjoy some things. And right now, that those things are are getting limited. Okay. So, um number all right, that was number 3. Number 2, okay, of the top 5 things that I'm I'm, you know, going to miss during the coronavirus outbreak. Uh my number 2 is March madness. Now, like like everyone, you know, the couple weeks of March madness. There's nothing quite like the Thursday of the opening Thursday of the tournament. It's it's just such a cool thing. I love to uh, use a sick day once in a while uh, for that. Last year, I went down to Atlantic City with my friends. And for that Friday of the opening weekend, we watched the games there and gambled a little bit. Lost some money, but it was all fun. And you know, to me, it's like that's one of the top sports days of the year. I think it's the number one sports day of the year. I'm having a hard time thinking of a better one. Um, strictly because, you know, and I don't really care that much about college basketball teams. I like rooting for some of the, I like rooting for upsets like anybody. Um, you know, it took a long time to see a 16 beat a one, but when UMBC took down Virginia, that was awesome. And, uh, I like rooting for like the smaller Ohio teams, especially since like Dayton was having a hell of a year and may never have a season like this again, I was really pulling for the Flyers. It's an easy time to just get on board, and I don't really care about the gambling aspect, which a lot of my friends really are only interested in that, but to me, <coughs> I'm more interested in just rooting for buzzer beaters, upsets, uh, big-time like matchups, and Frankly, the 65 teams that were in the tournament, or I guess it's 68 now, uh, that play in those like 64 games or how many games, maybe it's 65 games they play, all those games, you're, you're guaranteed some really good watches. And especially when four of them are going on at once, you got your brackets going. I mean, you know, they're not going to win anything, but you still like to pay attention to them anyway. You're talking shit with people. I had another side bracket that I do with my friends where we uh, do, you know, it's like points per team per win. So like the six seed Xavier wins three games. All of a sudden I have 18 points. And, you know, you're one seed lost after two rounds. So you're out. It's it's there's so many fun things around March Madness. It's not even just the games, but it's the Big East Tournament. It's the conference tournaments of the Sun Belt and the MIAC, where you're like, I don't know a single player or a coach on either of these teams, but I can't stop watching this game. You know, that's that's the beauty of of March Madness is you can have complete and utter like cutoff from these teams, and you care so much. So, uh, I'm gonna miss it. I. Uh, and the biggest bummer of it all is that these kids that play on all these teams that had really big dreams about their final season or or whatever going towards their conference championships and the NCAA tournament, they just stopped. It, it They didn't get a uh, final goodbye. They didn't know when it was ending. It just ended. And that's a real big bummer for a lot of these kids. The teams like San Diego State and uh, and Dayton, who will probably never have teams quite as good as they have right now, it hurts them the most. Duke, they were the first ones to say they're not playing in the tournament. And uh, you know what? It's not really a big deal because Duke is considered a favorite almost every year. So like, you know, yeah, no shit Duke's going to be like, you know, the first ones to do that. But Teams like Dayton, where they're like, you know, they're, they'd are they be willing to risk it for the biscuit. They'd take on coronavirus. If I, mean, I bet every single one of those kids would say, I'll take on coronavirus if it gives me a chance to play in the tournament. So it's a real big bummer for them. I'm going to miss it a lot. Uh, it got canceled. It's not delayed. All the other sports are just delayed, postponed, suspended. This one was straight up canceled. Yeah. So that's it on the college basketball season. See you in December 2020. Yeah, that's simple. But number one, and my number one thing that I'm missing during this coronavirus outbreak is the Bradley Beach Men's League basketball playoffs. Now, this doesn't affect a lot of people. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that of all the things that are being canceled, I think Bradley Bradley Beach's men's league probably reaches the least amount of people. But it affects me because the green team, one seed, 11-1 overall, one loss all year. We're not going to be able to go after the championship. Now, there's a possibility this comes back right so so this may come back in april or may but at this point we're now pushing it into the summer when less guys are available and this is a winter league for a reason so uh the playoffs where we were going to play the four seed who are a bunch of cheaters we we have confirmed this all right you know you don't get to play a whole season with the team and then at the last you know late in the season replace two of your players who are hurt and i'm sorry that they are hurt you know but you, you know, <clears throat> you can't make huge roster upgrades through your injuries. You know, by adding two guys, one guy who had never been in the league before wasn't vetted, and all of a sudden now is your best player. Um, can't happen. And then you bring in a former captain, number one overall pick, at the very last second, even though he was out this whole season for two of your injured players. Can't happen. Can't have it happen. Uh, but that's how blue team wants to roll. That's how they want to roll. And green's ready to take them on. I was also excited to see red and black play. I mean, they were you know, both really good teams. We swept red, uh, but played them really tough all three times. And they have the best player in the league. And then uh, black, team black, they were the only team to beat us. They rained threes on us. But the season finale in which they were trying to catch us, You know, we, we beat them twice in a three week span where they said, Hey, if we, if we beat, if they beat us both times, they would have gotten the one seed." So it was a big deal. Uh, we beat them in a very tight game. I played some really great defense and I'm starting to score more too. And then the season finale, we only had five guys. So everyone had to play 40 minutes and we played really well. We had to switch to a zone defense, but that worked for us, uh, I had to be a wing because we just were limited on guards, so I was basically moved to being the four and had to play a little bit of wing ball, and that worked all right. Scored 18 points. uh, Was the, I guess, third highest score on the team, but I was only like four behind Popper at that game. We were rolling. I was playing my best ball in a couple years, uh, giving the team what we needed, and I feel like Green was the team of destiny, and all of a sudden we had a game 7 10th inning rain delay. You know, this is, uh this pretty much sucks. There's not much else to say. Uh green, I hope we get back at it. I hope we can get after it and uh get back on the court because we had a really great thing going on and uh I've never been champion in this league. It's been 5 seasons. Uh my first year made it to the finals, but uh, when I was on team orange Shut down Chris Heine in game one of the finals, and uh, we beat them. Chris uh, had like a meltdown. It was it was very embarrassing for him. I don't, I don't know how he lives with himself after it. Um, you know, in the first half, being able to score like Will, and then at the second half, I get on him. I defend him. Uh, he has multiple offensive fouls. He uh, throws a chair at one point. He gets, he gets in foul trouble, comes back in, fouls out. Uh, it's, it's the temper tantrum of a lifetime and, uh, it really costs his team. Uh, so Chris, if you're listening, I don't know how you let that happen, man. Regardless, uh, that was my first season, but we ended up losing that finals because I went to Italy to go uh, visit Maggie. She was, uh, studying abroad in Florence and I went with my parents because obviously, and I told everyone at the beginning of the season, Hey, I have to go to Italy in April in, uh, May and they're like, Oh, the season will be well over by then. But, of course, that year we had like three delays because of snow. And then, you know, all of a sudden we run into a problem. So we lost that one. Next couple of years I'm on a couple of crap teams. Uh, then last year made it to the finals again where I was on a pretty good team. But we ran into a steamroller of a team that Again, picked up a mid-season change where one of their players got arrested. Yikes. For some bad stuff. I don't really want to get into that. Um, Got arrested. So they replaced him with like a point guard, which point guards are really hard to come by in our league. There's like four. So to add another one is giving yourself a huge advantage. They had a point guard become a completely different team and beat us in the finals. Uh, So I have an asterisk behind that season. And the first season, you know, I wasn't even there to to help us win the title, so I really want this one, is just you know to say the least. And if we don't win, of course, there's going to be an asterisk. And if we do win, there'll be an asterisk. But I don't care because if we do win, we'll be the eleven and one team that won the championship. So those are my top five things I'm missing this coronavirus season. Okay, and I know it doesn't affect everybody, but it affects me and. This is, you know, everyone has their own stuff that they're excited for, uh, you know, and, and people will say, hey, you know what? Maybe I'll give you time to uh, study. Mm-hmm. That's probably a good good idea. It's probably a wise investment of my time. Uh, you know, some people are saying read, which, like, you know, let's let's not kid ourselves. I'm not going to read. Uh, you know, but I am going to be studying a lot more. Got a couple, uh, you know. Tests to take to get licensed. So this allows me uh, more studying time at home. Or in case you're not interested in studying. Or bettering yourself. Or, you know, making good use of this free time. You could check out what's on TV. And I've got five shows for you as well. By the way, the honorable mention of the last top five. The masters are delayed. The NBA playoffs are delayed and the XFL suspended their season and they will continue next year. So uh, XFL was losing viewers. This hurts them, but they did say they're coming back next year. So I do give them a second chance next year. Cause I really do want the NFL to have a feeder program. Uh, NBA finals. It, again, like I said before, they pretty much have their playoff field set. So if they just hold off for a month this can basically be almost a good thing for the league where they get a lot of rest for their star players they already have their playoff teams set if anything they should make it like six teams in the east six teams in the west and just have like a couple teams with buys kind of like the NFL playoffs but uh they won't do that because once they're back everybody's back um but the Masters, again, they'll probably just pick a weekend in June or July to do the Masters, and and we probably won't have much of a fall-off. Maybe they'll do a September Masters. That would be pretty cool, actually, if they did a September Masters, bring the Masters to the fall at the end of the golf season rather than the beginning of the golf season. Um, and the XFL, you know, I really want the NFL to have a feeder program. I would love it if they, like, sustain that. Um, Hopefully they can stay strong throughout the summer and come back next winter. Okay. My top five shows to check out during coronavirus. All right. Number five, the biggest loser. I've never been a fan of the biggest loser. Never watched it when it was on NBC. It's now on USA. Um, n- nothing for no reason. What you know, there was no reason I didn't watch it or anything like that, but uh my girlfriend, Sam was like, Hey, I actually watched like the season premiere, uh, when I was working from home. Uh, it's pretty cool. You know? And, and so I watched the next episode with her and I was like, actually, this is giving me like a little motivation. You know, I've already been on a keto diet for over two months and it's gone really well. We've, you know, had hit kind of like a roadblock this March so far because of, you know, just like we we're going to do the big East. So we did a pizza night last night to honor what we were going to do during the big East. And then, you know, we're going to have dinner for my mom tonight, so that one, I, I won't be sticking to keto, but all of next week, I'll be doing keto, and probably the week after that, and the week after that, because I want to lose a couple more pounds in March, but it's gone good, and uh, this show, Biggest Loser, you got a lot of people working hard, and struggle with their weight, and, and it's like, yeah, it's motivational, and I like watching it, and it, it's getting me to get off my ass and get back to the gym, so if, 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 if that's working for me, yeah, that's cool. And they're already down to like their top five. So now it's getting really interesting because, you know, once you every season where it's like an elimination format, you have to get by those weeks of the people that like aren't really contenders. Then you get into like the contending stuff, and that's when it gets really juicy. Really interesting. Uh number four, Lego Masters. Okay. Just like I just said about Biggest Loser, where you need to get through some of the weeks. We are now through the early weeks of the people that weren't contenders. If you haven't watched Lego Masters, you're probably thinking it's a joke. It's not. This is pretty dope. Like, It's only an hour long. And each week, there's a different challenge. And each week you know, there's a bottom two, you know, the, the, it's pairings, right? There's a way that this works is it's like eight different pairs have come into the Lego dome hosted by Will Arnett and, and like they have to complete different challenges for the week. So um, like the one challenge was, Uh, They were going to drop something and it was going to explode or they're going to blow it up or they're going to crash it. And it was like, who can have the best, biggest explosion? Um, Another um, challenge was everyone gets a movie category and has to create a movie with Legos. Um, There have been two challenges where they have to combine all of their builds, where one was like they're building a like basically like a park. And with with all, everyone has this rail system, so they have to connect all their rail systems. And different parts of their park are, like, different themes. And then the next one was they're building a city. And uh, and then the city was, like, a two-parter where, you know, they build their city. Okay, and then it was, like, you have, uh, like, three hours now to build something better on your city, like, an attack. A lot of things have been monster-related, which I understand, like, LEGO has... Very limited stuff. This past week, they changed it up a lot by making it... You have to build a bridge. And the bridges that hold the most weight win. Um, there's a golden brick that saves you from elimination one week. And one team used it. And almost used it prematurely. Because the two guys that won the golden brick in the first week... They didn't want to use it. They wanted to hold it onto it for as long as they could. But... uh They eventually had to. And then, of course, the week later uh, is when they dropped their big big skyscraper. Fortunately, that was the week where there was an overtime. And they were able to fix a lot in overtime. Uh, But we're through the weeks of the people that really aren't there that belong there. And we did the boxcar derby. There's been a lot of fun stuff in LEGO Masters. I would watch it. I would check it out. Especially now that they're just down to like the four contenders. It's exciting stuff. And it comes on after one of my top movie or top shows. So I'll get to that in a second. But my number three show for coronavirus is a show called Hunters on Amazon Prime, where it's basically Inglorious Bastards, but in the 70s and in New York. Okay. Um this group of older Jewish people that know that Nazis still exist in America are hunting them down left and right. It's got a Tarantino vibe to it where there's a lot of cutaways and, uh, it's, it's, it's very cool. Al Pacino first TV show Al Pacino has been in and, uh, I don't know a lot of the other actors' names. A lot of them are are fairly unknowns or just people I don't know their name of. The kid from Percy Jackson is all I know. But it's – I kind of halted on it. haven't watched it in a while. But it is very interesting. It's Amazon Prime, so it's allowed to be a little gory, allowed to show some blood. Uh, It's definitely worth checking out. First episode, hour and a half long. So be prepared. You've been warned. But definitely worth checking out. Um, my number two, I was leading up with Lego Masters. The show that precedes Lego Masters is The Mass Singer. Now, when this concept came out a couple years ago, I was like, sounds stupid. Okay. Did not like the idea of Mass Singer. It just seemed like it was Fox's version of the voice because they see that American Idol is basically down to dropping to nothing and the voice dominates the winter and the spring in terms of singing competition shows. So I get that Fox wants to put something out there, but Mass Singer, I didn't think would be it. Turns out I was wrong. Mass Singer is fun, okay? Not only is it a very jam-packed episode, right, where where the voice is two hours, and they take a ton of commercial breaks, and the commercial breaks are long, and you get tired, and you're like, this is a waste of two hours from 8 to 10 on a Monday. Mass Singer, not only is it on Wednesday, um, it's an hour long. The commercial breaks are quick, and they get going through the show very fast. There's three different groups with six singers in each group. And they start group A and do three straight weeks of that, eliminating one by one until they get a top three. And then they move on to group B, do the same thing. Cut it down from six to five to four to three. And then move on to group C, and right now, we just eliminated first one from Group C. We'll eliminate two more the next two weeks. And then we go to the top nine, which I believe are live episodes. Um, but what's cool is like, okay, you think, all right, they're just, you know, singers in a costume. They're not all singers. Sometimes they pick like, you know, professional athletes that like, you know, it's like, all right, how would you guess that professional athlete? Well, you know, because you don't know how they sound like when they're singing. They give a lot of hints, and there's clue packages. And they give out, uh, like, you know, they each gave out, like, a Valentine's Day card, and the card had a hint in it. They gave out, like, friendship bracelets one week, and and those had another one. And, like, the clue packages have a lot of, like... Hidden things like there's talk of like Brett Michaels being in there because every time his clue package there's like been like a poisonous snake, a poisonous spider, you know, you know, going back to like poison, or there's been like bandanas hanging here and there, and it's like uh, okay, I get it. Plus, it kind of sounds like him. But it's been a lot of fun. I'm excited for the live round. Some of the singers have been really good, and so I'm really excited to see like the people that are actually very good singers. And excited to see if they get any more like clues. I like figuring out clues, so uh, uh, it's exciting. It's been a lot of fun, and uh, definitely worth the watch. I think the best part about it is how quickly it goes by, and that they really don't drag out the episodes with a lot of commercials. They uh, they're like snappy, you know, quick acting episodes. But my number one show for your quarantine, your coronavirus quarantine. Look, you know it. I've been a fan of the dating shows for a long time, and there's nothing quite like when you find true love behind a glass door. That's right. Not The Bachelor. Fuck The Bachelor this year. Bachelor was terrible. Don't watch it. Peter was one of the worst Bachelors in Bachelor history. The best part about this season was that In after the final rose, they brought his mom on who disapproved of the girl that he eventually ended up choosing. And she didn't realize or she knew she was miked because she put the microphone on. But I don't think Barb knew how much they would be using her, how much they'd be putting her on TV. So I feel kind of bad for Barb because had she known this, um, she would have been like a little careful about it. But it provided for some absolutely amazing television in the finale. However, the whole season leading up to it was crap, was garbage. Peter spent half the season apologizing to the women because he kept Hannah Brown around too long, he kept the girl Alay around too long, and just kept dr- like drama going in and out of the house, and all he was doing was ever apologizing and not spending time with the girls, where it's like they were losing their patience with him, like, what the fuck, man? You're not worth it. You aren't that great. So that's why my number one show is Love is Blind. If you haven't watched it now, you're way behind. You have to watch it. They did have a reunion show, for Christ's sake. And there's not much to say on Love is Blind outside of the fact that it's crazy. It's the most ridiculous thing in the world. Eight strangers, or I don't know what the number is, 11, 12, whatever, Um. 11, let's say it's 10, 10 men, 10 women, men all live together, women all live together, they don't get to see the other gender, and it's a dating experiment where they wake up, they go into a pod, and they talk to the other gender for as long as they want, and as they get to know each other, they can start to date exclusively, they can still date around, but that's not going to work, trust me, and... (laughs) I say trust me because one guy tried doing it and it failed miserably, Um, but (laughs) these people are fucking crazy. There has to be something we're not being told, like if they met each other ahead of time or whatever, but if they want to meet in person – they have to propose behind this glass door and get engaged. And then they finally, after four days of dating, say, you know what? I love you because I'm crazy and you're crazy and it works. I get it. But they say I love you, which is the which is ridiculous, number one. The guy proposes, which is ridiculous, number 5,000. And then they meet in person and they're like, all right, we have 28 days to get married, which is another thing that's insane. And it shows them, you know, basically the first couple episodes of them getting to know each other, getting to meet each other. And it comes down to, okay, there are six couples that leave together and then they go on a little like fake honeymoon vacation. And that six couples quickly turns to five when one of the couples uh, reveals some very, very interesting information. And then the couples decide, okay, is it worth getting married in the end as they all go to the altar? And some of them don't make it past the altar. Some of them do. There's a reunion episode. It's absolutely insane. Uh, These people are mental and I can't get enough of it. And they're filming a season two and all of it, it will be watched again. If you're not watching, you have to watch it. I don't care if you've heard spoilers or whatever, because just watch the first couple episodes. You'll grow to these characters, and then you'll watch them go crazy and ape shit, and you'll yell at them, and it's lovely. It's under. Uh, it's unbelievable. Sorry, needed a water break for that. But I just suggest anybody who hasn't seen Love Is Blind, it's on Netflix. The reunion is on Netflix. Makes sh- Nick Lachey and his wife, I think Jessica Lachey, are the hosts. Um, they're not very good at hosting, but <laughs> uh, Jared Freed said Chris Harrison is the anti anti Nick Lachey, which is great because you know th- they don't really deserve to be the host. They they I don't know, but they found a gold mine though with Love Is Blind because I can't get enough of this. I want them to do a hundred people next year and just film fourteen thousand pods of this and just take the best of the best of the best and just make it make it every monday forever that's what they really should be doing love is blind can really uh you know top this because you know, then then you have oh my god, it's the best because they had you know okay the couples and then they had all the couples meet up in Mexico or whatever. So then they got to see the people that turned them down and then like oh the one girl who was like well I was more interested in this guy at one time. She gets drunk and then she like talks shit about the one guy she's with and it's all phenomenal stuff. And then one girl's jealous and she calls her sheisty, which I've never heard that word before, but I love it. Oh my god, Love is Blind. Easily the number one show uh, that you should be watching during this quarantine. I'm actually angry I watched it already because it's going to be great during a quarantine, considering they're also in pods. Uh, Honorable mention, though, The Outsiders on HBO just finished their season. Um, I'm losing interest, and that's all I'll say. I like the actors involved. I'm going to continue watching, um, but you know look hbo makes great shows out of every 10 hbo shows you have 7 that are really good to great you have 2 that are like this is good it's okay it's losing my interest and then there's one that you're like this isn't good this isn't good at all but their hit rate is an, is enormous i mean Every show that someone tells me to watch on HBO, I'm like, okay, all right, I'll give it a shot. You should always give it a shot because to me, that's been Veep, Silicon Valley, Game of Thrones, Succession, Righteous Gemstones, The Wire. I mean, HBO's hit rate is phenomenal. So always get they're like the they're like basically Marvel, um, and Jordan Peele, um, where it's like. You've built up enough goodwill with me that oh Jordan Peele Taika Waititi there's 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 plenty out there um, where it's like you've built up enough goodwill with me that even if I think that might not be good that next project you have coming out I'm gonna check it out because it, like. You've you've proven me wrong so many times, or not even proven me wrong. You've just proven that like you deserve the second opportunity, the second chance, and to be given you know a lot of patience and stuff. And I feel that way with the Marvel Cinematic Universe and what they're bringing to TV. I'm like, hey, you know what? What have they done to prove me? You know, to say that uh, you shouldn't check them out. Uh, I feel the same way about HBO. So uh, I'm going to continue watching The Outsiders, but it's not on my top five most recommended right now. Um, I wouldn't recommend Bachelor. I already got that. And then the other HBO show was Avenue 5, which I've watched a couple episodes. It's okay. Uh, I think I think it can get better in a second season. I think that one is where they can really jump it up a little bit. I feel like Hugh Laurie's um, like pushing it a little too hard. Uh, they don't need to make him so... like. Over the top at times. However. uh, I do like it. And it's my favorite role Josh Gad has done. I wish they had someone else that wasn't Josh Gad though. That's all. Um, Anyway. Those are my top five uh, shows for coronavirus. I've given you the five things that you're missing. Now I'll give you a couple uh, movie reviews. Before I let you go for the week. Um, And just a little movie breakdown for you. Because you know. With Sam, Sam for Christmas got me this movie list of 100 movies. It's basically a 100 movie bucket list. I don't think the qualifications are it's the 100 greatest movies. That's not what they've claimed. It's just a bucket list of 100 movies. So where you'll get things like Gladiator and Titanic and a bunch of other like big award-winning movies you got Lord of the Rings on there you have Star Wars on there you have a lot of things that are like epic like you know basically Oscar winners you also have some ones that are like slightly unknown or just like cult classics like Shaun of the Dead and uh you know like Snatch and there's a bunch of very good movies on there so um I think it's kind of just like 100 almost unique movies or like you know I don't really know what their qualification is I like the list Uh, I want to make a list of my own maybe I'll do that on a special episode soon but we've been watching this 100 movies bucket list basically and we've knocked out 12 of them already and it's March 14th so uh, basically two and a half months in, we've knocked out 12. If we want to do them all this year, we're behind the eight ball. But <clears throat> especially since we've started with movies, uh, basically, I, I think I've seen all of the movies before I saw them, or before I watched them again. But you know what? It, it, you know, it, It's fine. I, I think that's okay. I mean, I've seen about probably more than half the movies on there anyway but we want to watch them all together and Sam hasn't seen all of these uh so it, it it's been it's been a lot of fun so I want to get to a couple of those each week right or each episode I want to review a couple of them so I'll start off and this will be I'll call these the Sam movie of the weeks uh, in addition to the omMRs the one minute movie reviews that I do And then uh, there's also been a big bump in 100-level movies. Now, the reason for that is this movie list includes some of the best movies of all time. So you're going to see some 100s on there because if it's one of the best movies ever made, it's probably on this list. So I'll start doing that. I had the 100-movie club. I added uh, Remember the Titans to that a couple weeks ago. Uh, that made the 100 Movie Club. And I'm going to have another one this week. And I'll have probably another one each each episode for the next uh, couple weeks, maybe two months. So, without further ado, we'll jump right in. Okay, so the OMMRs for this week went to the movies. Saw a movie called The Gentleman, starring Matthew McConaughey, uh, Henry... I think Golding is his name, and uh, Charlie Hunnam from Sons of Anarchy. I was really excited for this one because January, February, March, not a lot of great movies come out. We know that like the movie push is October, November, December for like awards, so early movies for the year typically don't do well, but this was a Guy Ritchie movie. Guy Ritchie, Snatch, we'll get to that later. You know I like Snatch. But um, with, with this one, with The Gentleman, it was a similar heist movie. This one was revolving around like marijuana and uh, kind of like illegal drug trading in London. Uh, there was a lot to like about it. I thought it was really fun. I went in hoping it would be really good, expecting it to be bad, and I got it in that like really good range. It was to me a 78. I thought the acting at times was a bit over the top. I felt like it was a lot like Snatch in terms of like the twist at the end. However, I could have used a couple more characters if we were going to go that route. All in all, I thought it was really fun. I thought it was just, you know, a movie that I would say, hey, this is really good. I enjoyed this. It passed the time, but it was more than just you know, passing two hours, it was something that I had a lot of fun watching. Now, you know, before I jump into the other OMRs, I think I need to explain, like, my movie grade scale, because a lot of people have given me a lot of shit for how high scores I give. Let me, like, start with just saying how I would grade movies. Um, Number one, I'm giving you a 100 if it's the perfect movie. If you nail everything in your field, if it's shot beautifully, if the acting is great, if it's got a great story, if I'm captivated, if – like no matter what you're going for, if you nail it and hit it, it's a 100. Like if there's nothing wrong with it because that's what I go with. I give every movie a 100 to start and then I say, okay – was it great? Did I love it? Was it excellent? <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry. Why isn't it a 100? And I go from there. Okay. So uh, I like, you know, there's going to be a 100 later. and I'll get into that and why it's a 100 and for each, you know, some movies might be better than grades that like, you know, I give them and stuff, but this is my grading scale. I start and I have a range so, 100 is the perfect movie. It nails everything. The work that goes into it. If you watch the way James Cameron talks about Titanic, you know. Spoiler alert. If you watch my Instagram stories, you know I give Titanic 100. Um, if you look at the work James Cameron did to that movie, that's a 100. He built a fucking ship. That's a 100. So, I, I won't get into that because I want to talk Titanic with Sam when she comes on the podcast next week. But, like, it's, it's that stuff. It's the production. It's the music. It's the acting. There's so much that goes into it. Um, if you're in the 90s to 90 to 99, that's like, to me, an excellent movie. Excellent. Is it great? Does it stand out? Is it like the best in its genre? 90 to 99, okay. Is it a great movie? That's where I'd leave the 80s. Like, great movie, I have a few problems with it, okay? I really had a lot of fun. It was really great. I had a lot of great laughs. There's problems, though, with the movie. 90s typically don't have a lot of problems. It's just not a 100. 80s, I'd get to pinpoint problems. All right, 70s, 70 to 79, this is where I'm in like the, oh, it was really good. I really enjoyed it, but it's not really a great movie, okay? So that's where I stand there. So like 100 is perfect. 90 to 99 is excellent. There's just a tiny thing that doesn't make it a perfect movie. 80 to 89 is where it's great, Uh, it, there but there's a few problems that like I can't make it a 90. 70 to 79, really good slash enjoyable, but it's definitely not great. 60 to 69, that's where I'm just saying it's a good movie, it's fun, it's above average, it passed the time, but it's good, it's above average. 51 to 59, that's where I'm saying it's not a bad movie, because once we get into that 50 and below area, that's where we're talking bad movies. 51, 59, it's not bad. 50, right down the middle, I feel nothing. I feel nothing about this movie. And it's not bad. It's not good. It's just there. It's blah. That's a 50. 40 to 49. Meh. It passed time. It is below average. Okay. And and if we're going to say, is it good or is it bad? We're now on the bad side. 30 to 39. Just a definitely not good movie. Would not recommend. Wouldn't watch again. 20 to 29. We're bad. There's a few redeemable moments, but it's a bad movie. There's some things that you can say they actually did right, but it's a bad movie. 10 to 19, really bad. Nothing redeemable. It sucked. It wasted time. I don't have anything to say. One, we're in single digits. One to nine, we're talking all-time horrible. We're saying this is some of the worst stuff you've ever seen. And zero, this movie did absolutely nothing right. You have to be basically the anti-100 to be a zero, okay? It needs to nail it in every single category of it just doing absolutely nothing, okay? So, like, if it's the worst movie I've ever seen, but at the same time some of the acting was actually okay, you're probably going to be in the single digits. But for it to be a zero... I can't wait to see a zero. I've never seen a zero, <coughs> but the guys on Lights, Camera, Pod have given out zeros and they gave one to a movie called uh, Fantasy Island. And I kind of want to see it because I want to see what they determine a zero, especially since I've seen movies that they've given out like 97 and up to. So I want to see how they think this is the opposite end of the spectrum. Just just my two cents. Okay, so now that I did that 100-point uh, movie scale, uh, let's move on to the next one. Honey Boy. Honey Boy. Um, Honey Boy starring Shia LaBeouf is the story of Shia LaBeouf. He plays his dad in the movie, but it's a like kind of like fictional tale of his growing up because it doesn't use his name or anything like that. Um, it shows he has a really tough childhood. It was a tough watch. You know, there were some like long scenes. Uh, the kid actors I thought were really great. The acting all around was great. Shia LaBeouf is a very good actor. I think he he gets a, you know, he's kind of like Joaquin Phoenix where he gets like a bad rep sometimes. But he um, he's a good actor. And they show the work he was doing and what things he was working on at the time. And they show him through, dif- um, through different ages throughout the movie. And the basically depression he dealt with and all the other, you know, anxieties and kind of like mental disorders he was going through with his life. And the fact that, you know, he was smoking at a young age and he was treated pretty poorly, but his dad always believed in him. His dad was just kind of like a nut job. And uh, he made this movie for his dad, kind of like to thank him, even though it was seemingly like insulting towards him. Um, it was a tough movie to watch. I give it a 75 because of the scoring table that I just gave you. I thought it was really good and I did enjoy it. Um, I didn't think it was great. I just, uh, I thought, you know, the way that they kind of like delivered this story, the story itself and the acting all definitely bring it into the seventies for me because I, 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 Gave it like a standing ovation, not standing ovation. Let's calm down. Uh, I I thought it was I thought it was good. I really enjoyed it, and uh, it was just tough to watch at times because it was a it was a hard movie to take in. Um, I don't have much else to say about Honey Boy because it, it just it, it, you know that that's about it. There wasn't much to the movie. It was kind of simple. Um, it just shows that Shia LaBeouf's dad kind of gave him a hard upbringing and then when he was in the you know big brother program his dad didn't allow it and wasn't allowing things and wasn't allowing him to bring him to dodger games and he was all about the work because his son was bringing home the bacon and he was basically working for his son but that was a humbling experience for him and uh and and his mom was out of the picture and there were a lot of things that's just like you know it's uh it was a it was a tough upbringing. Definitely not the same as like a Spring Lake childhood. I will say that. Okay, and uh last uh OMMR of the week, Going with Little Women. It was the last movie of the uh of the Oscar noms that I had not seen. It was good. Uh I feel like It got pushed up because it was Little Women. I definitely didn't think it was one of the top nine movies of the year Uh, I would have put Knives Out in over Little Women. Uh, I thought the acting was really good. Sarsha Ronan and Florence Pugh are really good actresses. Laura Dern, also really good. It's just kind of boring. It... uh, Like, you know, Timothy Chalamet was a pretty good actor in it, but he came off as like a pompous douchebag. But I guess that was the idea. And to be honest, I uh, definitely could have gone on without seeing it. I I do think the set pieces were like it was a beautifully shot movie. Don't get me wrong. Like they shot it really well. Uh, The music itself was really good. The dialogue back and forth was really good. It uh, like There were a lot of good things about this movie, which keeps it in that good range for me. There you go. You're in the 70s now. Um, I just, you know, there was nothing that made it great for me. And that's why I, I didn't think it deserved an Oscar nom. And uh, it makes me think, you know, a lot of people were talking, you know, I, I listened to Lights, Camera, where they um, interviewed uh, uh, Aldous Hodge, who's an Academy voter and who's in, you know, he was in invisible man. He's, he was in a couple of movies last year. Uh, uh, and, and he basically revealed that he likes to vote for the underdogs and he likes to vote for the underrepresented. And I really disagreed with him there. And you're probably going to say, Oh, Jake, you're disagreeing because you're a white male from spring Lake. And I'm like, no, that's not why I, um, you know, there are plenty of, you know, there are plenty of white underdogs too. Trust me. I just, uh, I don't think, you know, his reasoning was good for like, oh, I want to vote for them because, you know, he wanted to vote for Bong Joon-ho because Bong Joon-ho was the only non like American. I'm like, that's not a good reason to vote for somebody. Like, isn't the Oscar supposed to be the best of the best? Like if there were no female direct, like, If the top five directors of 2019 were men, they all deserve to make it. You know, you shouldn't just include minorities just because you want some diversification up there. Like, wouldn't Greta Gerwig say, I want to be nominated for my best work? I want to be one of the top five, and that's why I want to be nominated? Or does she say, I just want to be the best female? And then get nominated because I'm a female, and I can go take one of the spots of someone else's because I'm a female. She wouldn't want that. And a lot of people think, you know, this might be offensive, what I'm saying, but I don't think it is. I think the Oscars are above anything else in ter- in, the, in the film industry, so we should look at it as the very best of the very best. And if it's a strict numbers game where to every one female director, there's 90 male directors that makes it super tough. And, and I, and I'm, you know, that's, that sucks. And I'm sorry to hear that. And I know that there wasn't a lot of uh, like African American representation up there at the Oscars this year. Again, like that sucks, but, I wouldn't just say, oh, we need to reserve a spot on the um, best actors list for like a minority just because like there were some great fucking acting performances this year. Like, OK, who are you going to kick out just to include somebody like Adam Driver, Leo DiCaprio oh, and, and, and Joaquin Phoenix were the three best actors this year for their performances in their movie. It just I I went to too many movies to be told otherwise. You know, like I saw too many movies this year to be told, "Hey, those three guys like, it, like you can't tell me they weren't the best." So there's only two spots left after that. Now, that's where you kind of want to say you want to get creative and stuff, but at the same time, don't you think the fourth and fifth best actors of the year deserve to be up there too. You know, I thought, I thought Remy Malek was pretty good and I didn't think he deserved to win for Bohemian Rhapsody when he played Freddie Mercury. And then I see what's his face. I feel bad for forgetting his name right now, but it's late in the podcast. He gets nominated or he, he gets nominated for a golden globe and wins for rocket man. Um, and, doesn't get the oscar love and instead they give it to jonathan price and like that kind of sucked and antonio barris banderas i didn't see uh you know his movie so i can't really comment on that but my point is there's a lot of lot of good acting performances up at the top it would be a shame just to like include minorities and underdogs Just because we want to be including everybody. Because then it's not really the Oscars anymore. Then it's just, well, we want to include everybody. So I didn't agree with Aldous Hodge's point because I, I I don't know. I feel like the Oscars is all about earning it. So regardless, uh, that was just one interview. I'm sure the guy has, I mean, there's a reason he's on the Academy voting board. There's a reason he votes for these things. So, um, But, again, uh, that's why I gave Little Women a 77. Uh, I thought it was really good, but it wasn't great. And I didn't think it deserved to be a a nominee. So, okay. Uh, Jumping along, we're going on to the 100 movie club entrance of the week is Raiders of the Lost Ark i love raiders it's one of my favorite movies of all time the reason it's a 100 there's a lot of nostalgia points involved here but it is great and you have to consider the time it came out that's another thing that's tough with these movies is you know you can't grade them all the same if they were um you know if one came out in 1980 and one came out in 2020 right like you're not going to have the same digital effects in Blade Runner as you do in Blade Runner 2049. Like the amount of time in between those two movies, it's okay to rate the first Blade Runner better, even though the second one has such, such better cinematography, you know? So with that being said and taking up for what they did at that time, I can't possibly imagine Raiders being any better. The acting was great. The story was great. Um, it is the perfect action adventure movie and for it to hold up 40 years later and for Indiana Jones to still be that like awesome guy. Yeah, it's pretty cool. What's crazy is like, you know, you watch the movie and it's like, it's supposed to take place in like the thirties and forties. And you're like, Oh my God, that's so long ago. But like, that's this, like in 1980, that's the same as if we're making a movie now about something that took place in the 80s and we're just like lol nostalgia like but for 1980 that's what like the 30s and 40s was like so it's kind of funny how that's like it it, it seems so distant to us but like now that's what kids will be saying our kids will be saying about movies that take place in the 70s and 80s but were made in 2020 crazy to think about it like that, but, um, I, Raiders of the Lost Ark, there's, it's, it's my favorite movie of all time, I really don't have much to say, I put a lot of it on my Instagram story, um, <clears throat> it's very quotable, it was one of the first, like, movies I was allowed to see as a kid that I definitely wasn't allowed to see, if you know what I mean, like, it was out of my age gap, but I wanted to be Indiana Jones, there was a couple Halloweens in there where I just had the hat, the whip, and like the satchel, and I was like, I, "I'm Indiana Jones. That's who I am. I want to be Harrison Ford. Like that's all I cared about." He made two more movies, and I was like, "Those are the second and third greatest movies of all time." <laughs> so, again, like I like I understand where people will nitpick. I I think uh, they have to keep in mind that the movie came out 40 years ago, and you know when people do nitpick Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, I'm like, okay, you you do realize how long ago it came out. But that being said, it's still great. The characters are awesome. It is the quintessential action-adventure movie, and that's why it's a 100. It's, It's excellent. It's perfect. And the John Williams score is phenomenal. John Williams movies, by the way, are like a minimum 80 you know, if he, if John Williams is doing the score, whether it's Star Wars or Home Alone, or I'll say minimum 70, Star Wars, Home Alone, Indiana Jones, he's got Jaws, he's got his hand, Jurassic Park, he's got his hand in, in so many great Spielberg movies where it's like, listen, you got John Williams on the track, there's no way this movie's not going to be good. So, that's just how I feel about that. And, uh, yeah. So my 100 entrance into the vault, Raiders of the Lost Ark, it was the second or third movie on the uh, movie list. It was the first one we watched. Ghostbusters was a retroactive score because we watched it in October and we decided we weren't going to watch it again. So I think it was the first movie we scratched off, though, on the movie list. And we've now scratched off 12. The next one, however, not a 100, Uh Was Snatch. I gave Snatch a 98 overall. And here's why. In heist movies. This is great. It's a great. Excellent. Awesome movie. I fucking love it. There are like 12 main characters. And they were able to carry. The same amount of load. For the movie as everyone else. Which is hard to do. They intertwine everyone's story. Which is really hard to do. The music, a lot of it was just, like, very fun. They were able to make a heist movie, like, on the edge of your seat. But at the same time, you, like, like kind of got upset and felt bad for some of the characters at some points. You laughed your ass off at some points. This movie brings it all. It's not a 100 because, you know, it's tough. And here's the thing. It's tough to find why it's not a 100. But it's just, like, you know. It's it's not shot anything. It's not shot like in any special way. It's not like you know any like right home about any film masterpiece. You know, it's just a really great movie and a lot of fun, and that's why I gave it a ninety-eight. Probably pumped it up because it's like one of my favorites. But you know, it's my grading scale. I can pump up what I want to. Okay. Uh, the next one on the Sam movie of the week is The Matrix, a movie that again I'm saving some of these for when Sam's on the podcast and we can go over them together. But I'm picking out some of the ones that she would have less to talk about, and she did not like The Matrix at all. Uh, but I give it a 91 because again I think it's a great movie. It's uh, it's got like one of the coolest. Like, uh, premises out there, right? The premise alone makes it an 80. And so we're moving up from there because, uh, it's quotable. The way it's shot in, in like the early 2000s, they did stuff in the Matrix that people like were shocked at. The like Neo scene where he's dodging bullets, nobody had ever seen that before. And that's like a breakthrough. In film, and I and it deserves recognition for that. So uh, I give it a ninety-one based on the fact that it is a breakthrough in what you can see on the big screen. And I thought the kung fu scene between Lawrence Fishburne and uh, Keanu Reeves is one of the better ones out there. It's really cool choreographed fight scene. I love fight choreography in movies. So if you nail it like John Wick nails fight choreography, that's going to be a boost in my rankings as well. Um and the last Sam movie of the week, uh seven seven movie reviews this week. Well done. Uh is Memento. This was the most recent one we have watched and I wanted to get it while it's fresh in my mind. Uh I gave Memento a 90. Again, uh, a reason that this got such a high grade where it it's not exactly like, you know, the best cinema, but it also is Christopher Nolan. Just like this is this might be Christopher Nolan's best work. I know The Dark Knight is one of the best movies, period, but you know, that was Chris Nolan taking a great character and some great acting performances. He didn't have the best acting performances in Memento. Um he had a really cool idea. To make a movie about a guy who loses his memory every, you know, how many hours of the day. And he can't develop new memories. So he has this short-term memory loss where he can really just only remember what's happening right in front of him because of a brain injury that happened. So not only do you have that, but you're doing half the movie in black and white and half the movie in color. The black and white is all like the first scene of the movie and it goes back and forth between what's happening live and what's happening in the first scene of the movie. Then you take it so it's like scene by scene your flashbacks and stuff. But then you realize the first scene of the movie when you start the movie like you know at 1 second that's the end of the movie. It the movie starts with the end. And it works all the way back to where it begins where the story begins is actually at the end of the movie and the big twist is not at is not at the end of the story it's at the end of the movie which is in the beginning of the story it's so complicated to explain but it really is a masterpiece when you look at how it was able to be portrayed on the big screen to have a twist in the movie at the end, where it's actually in the beginning of the story of a guy who has short-term memory loss, is phenomenal. Sam said she didn't really like Guy Pierce in the movie. I loved Guy Pearce in the movie. I thought he was cool. I thought he was great. Uh, the the blonde hair was unnecessary. Like they should have just given him his regular hair. But it's it's wild. It's a wild story, and it's crazy to see that, like you know. In a movie where, you know, this this the theme of this thing is the guy can only trust himself because he has all of his old memories, but he can't develop new ones. So he tattoos like rules for himself on himself that he has to live by. But at the same time, he has to trust himself, and he can't always do that. And the end of the movie, beginning of the story, shows why he can't trust himself. Uh, it's a must recommend. It's a phenomenal movie, and for me it's a 90 because, you know, and, and I know I didn't talk up The Matrix as much as I did because I watched this one last night, um, what Memento was able to do, where it lacked in the acting, and the story was a little jumbled, I'll give you that. Like, I wish they didn't involve so much of uh, Carrie Ann Moss, I think her name is, she's the girl from also from The Matrix, but she's also in this. Um, her story, like her involvement in the story was kind of weird and forced. Like I know they needed like a love interest and kind of like an angle, but, um, I, you know what? I feel like they could have made it like an easier to follow story and that would have pumped up my grade a little bit. So again, I, um, I loved this movie. I thought it was, was phenomenal. And what Christopher Nolan was able to do made it a night cuz if this was just a movie about a guy who lost his memory and they made it in forward time and i'd probably give this movie something like a something in the high 60s low 70s um because the story it's not, probably just low 60s to be honest like a 60s movie where it was good but just the way that this was developed and used backwards oh my god Like, it was a genius movie. I've never seen this before, and I give it up to Chris Nolan for being able to do this on the screen. Like, bravo. That brought it up to a 90 for me because, I mean, I've never seen a director impact the movie quite like that. So, um, I know it's been a long, long podcast, but you know what? This has been a good one. Uh, Everyone, stay safe out there quarantine yourselves don't be a hard like look i understand if you if you don't feel threatened by the coronavirus good for you fantastic like i i i salute you but don't risk other people you know like it, it's it's tough out there i have a grandpa who's in the hospital and a lot of the elderly don't have the same immune system that the youth do so if you're getting the coronavirus from other people and transferring it to other people, that they can then transfer it to other sick people, like just because it's not affecting you doesn't mean it doesn't affect other people. So keep that in mind. Be smart. Stay, stay safe. Wash your hands. Wash as much as you can because you don't know everything about this. So don't act like you do. All right. But be safe out there. Uh, Try and enjoy yourselves. I know this is a tough time for everybody, but don't let that not enjoy anything, okay? Be safe out there. Have a good one, and uh, go Browns.